This is the Neurosurgery Podcast. Welcome to the Neurosurgery Podcast, here with another installment spotlighting residencies across North America. Today, I am so honored to be joined by Dr. Kara Sedney, the Program Director at West Virginia University. Uh, Dr. Sedney, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Of course, we're very happy to have you. And, and as you know, and as we discussed, the idea today is to give the applicants this year in the field kind of an inside scoop on what neurosurgery is like there at WVU. So why don't you take a moment to introduce yourself to our listeners and introduce them to the program? Yeah, so my name's Kara Sunny. I'm a, um, a spine surgeon actually by training, but I also serve as the program director and have for a couple of years. Um, our program is, um, you know, a small but growing program with a very service-oriented tradition to the people of West Virginia, uh, which is an underserved Appalachian population. Um, but we also have an increasingly national and international reputation for subspecialized care, particularly in the field of functional neurosurgery. Um, and so right now our residency program operates, you know, as a sort of single site, single service, but it's very busy. Um, there's about twice as many faculty as there are uh, residents right now. Um, so we're, we're small, but, but busy. Great. And of course, I'll remind our listeners that we've had both Dr. Ali Rezai and Peter Conrad on the show recently talking about some of those innovations in functional neurosurgery that are happening there. Um, we were very honored to have them on the show as well at different times. And so I, I wonder if you could talk a bit, Dr. Sedney, about what kinds of things the residents do with any elective or research time. I imagine with the Institute and all the research happening in functional things like that are available and encouraged, but what other avenues are the residents able to explore? Yeah, so, um, you know, obviously a lot of our residents right now have a keen interest in functional. They were attracted because of all of the um, the things going on at the RNI. Um, but really our, our research here truly, you know, spans the gamut all the way from, you know, basic science in, in tumor things, all the way to health policy and implementation science. So there's um, really a huge range of possibilities um, for research. Um, the residents do um, one sort of dedicated year of research, which is the PGY4 year. Um, and I should um, sort of clarify that, um, you know, we tend to take a pretty broad view of what people can do with that year. Um, so if research is not people's um, thing, sometimes they're interested in business or things like that. Um, we also support that. And so um, all their alternatives that people have are to do things like an MBA, um, do, you know, an, uh, uh, one of the approved um, sort of pre-chief year and folded fellowship years or, or that kind of thing. And so um, we try to take kind of a broad um, aspect of that, but, but there is a lot of research opportunities in a variety of settings. That's phenomenal. You know, the, the more and more programs we get to talk to and program directors we get to speak with, the more encouraged I am to hear how prevalent that idea is to, to let the residents direct their own specialization, so to speak, within neurosurgical training and, and pursue their interest to shape their career. So I wonder, looking back in the recent years of your graduates, what kind of careers do people tend to go on to after WVU? Do they tend to pursue postgraduate fellowships, uh, academics, private practice? What's the general gamut? Um, we're about a 50-50 split in doing um, doing fellowships versus um, just going out into practice, and also about a 50-50 split over years um, of doing private versus um, academics. And probably right now, the most common fellowships that our, our residents are doing are spine or uh, functional, although we've had a couple of vascular endovascular and our, our current chief is going to do that. Um, and, and some people are just, you know, 
oh, any kind of any kind of private practice setting, we have people that have gone out into like solo practice, you know, um, building programs um, to people that have joined larger um, larger private practices or um, various academic uh, uh, endeavors. Sure, and you know, I I should have asked before, and I wanted to because uh, earlier in this discussion, you mentioned that one of the facets of your program there is that you're serving the uh, underserved populations of the Appalachian region. I wonder if you could talk a bit more about that and how it translates to the practice of neurosurgery and the kinds of neurosurgical pathologies you see there. Yeah. Yes. So in terms of the practice of neurosurgery, um, I think that it um, teaches our residents um, uh, how to deal with often very complex cases because people come to us um, with at quite advanced stages of disease. And that's really across the whole um, gamut of, um, of, of clinical things, you know, tumors, um, vascular issues and stroke, uh, spine issues, um, things like that. And the other thing that it does is it, it I think, provides a really supportive um, area for training because um, the, the, the people here, by and large, are very thankful for their care, very appreciative, um, and not overly um, uh, litigious. And so, I think that that is um, helpful from the standpoint of of resident training and something that's a, a positive aspect of this location. That is such an important point, which is why I'm glad you were able to highlight it. You know, I, I did medical school in Miami, which was based out of a large county hospital serving uh, a huge area, including South American nations, and now. Here at Rush for my training, we recently took over as the sole neurosurgical residence rotating at Cook County Hospital. And, you know, we've talked about it on the show many times, but I, I don't think you can underscore heavily enough the importance of training uh, in a place that serves underserved populations for all the reasons you listed. So um, having discussed that, I wonder then if we can talk about the people themselves in your program. Can you give us a sense of what kind of personalities and what kind of culture you would say characterizes the residency there? Yeah, I mean, I think we have a, a really, really diverse group, um, but I think what ties everybody together is that they are hardworking, they are patient focused, um, and and have a close relationship, sort of in, in spite of or perhaps because of their differences. Um, and that's that's definitely what we, you know, are kind of seeking in additions to the team is is people that can, um, you know, add add that mentality um, and and sort of appreciate people's differences while working as a cohesive group. Beautiful. And so then I, I guess if you put yourself in the shoes of an applicant this year who is interested in the program, is planning to interview and, and wants to get involved in all these exciting things happening that we've talked about, what kind of person would you say best meshes with the group? Who are you looking for out there? So qualities that we like to see um, in our applicants and in our, our residents that we matriculate are people that are, you know, hardworking, patient care focused, um, really have, you know, a growth mindset and able to accept feedback. Um, and to some extent, self-directed learners, we really enjoy teaching, but we also um, uh, enjoy that motivation that people carry with them, just that love of neurosurgery. Um, and again, just able to function in a close team environment with a diverse group of residents, because as a, as a small residency, um, you know, we, there's not a lot of, um, you know, room to diffuse personality conflict. So being able to have that sort of conflict resolution skill is really important too. Sure. And, you know, we, we try to avoid the stuff that people can get off the website, but because it came up, you're accepting how many residents this year? Uh, currently, we are a one-year program. I will say that we have a um, 
an application currently into the RRC to go to a one to one, which I think really right sizes our case volume right now, which is really you know on the extreme high end um, while still you know not sacrificing that sort of small program feel that I think all of us really love. Sure. And, you know, when, whenever things like this come up, I put myself back in the applicant position because it wasn't too far in the past for me. And I would always remind people that, as you said, you have such a large faculty and a large case volume. So having a that kind of resident to case or resident to faculty ratio is not always such a bad thing. It, it, it can often mean that there's much more available for a given resident than, you know, if, if you're in a larger cohort. Um, and so, Dr. Sedney, I wonder if as we're wrapping up here, we were talking a, a bit before we started recording about what life is like there in Morgantown, where the hospital is located in West Virginia. And, you know, you, you educated me. I, I outed myself as a big John Denver fan. And apparently, despite the lyrics of the state song of West Virginia, the Shenandoah Valley is not actually in West Virginia. It's in Virginia itself. But maybe with, with that correction out there, could you tell the applicants a bit about what life is like in the town and the surrounding, what kinds of things the residents do for fun when they're not in the hospital. Yeah, absolutely. So um, Morgantown is a college town. Um, as such, it is, you know, it's, it's kind of on the small side, um, but it, it actually doubles in size when the students are here. Um, so big difference. Uh, football rules this town. The, um, the football stadium actually is right next to the hospital and the hospital actually leases the parking lot from the football stadium. So there, you know, you can tailgate, um, you know, right out of the hospital. Um, and our residents have been known to um, do that at times. And, um, you know, it's also a, a little bit more of a diverse setting than you might expect in, in West Virginia. Certainly West Virginia has a stereotype associated with it. Um, but because of the because of the university and because of the hospital, it tends to be a much more diverse location um, within West Virginia itself. Um, and it's really um, surrounded by uh, you know, natural beauty. I think that that is, um, aside from, you know, football and, and being like a, a small family town, I think that the natural beauty is what attracts people to West Virginia and what encourages them to stay. Um, I think that there's very few, you know, academic programs where you can have like a 50 acre farm within 20 minutes of the hospital. And that's, that's, you know, my, my reason to be here. Um, and, and our residents really avail themselves of the, um, you know, outdoor opportunities, um, I can say that they do a, a variety of different outdoor things, but, you know, I actually did my residency here. And while I was a resident here, I took up cross-country skiing and kayaking um, and have uh, sort of resumed horseback riding and things um, after residency. And so there are just such a plethora of opportunities um, when we get to have um, people here for in-person interviews. We send them, you know, 30 minutes uh east of here where there's just really gorgeous um, hiking and, um, and rock climbing, um, whitewater rafting. I mean, just, just 30 minutes away. And so it's, it's, it's really accessible, um, very easy to get to um, on a resident schedule. Wow, it sounds beautiful and, and like a heck of a lot of fun. Uh, Dr. Seddy, we want to respect your time, but we're so grateful for you coming on today to share this insight into West Virginia University Neurosurgery with the applicants in the field this year. Thanks so much for coming on the Neurosurgery Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Welcome to another episode of the Neurosurgery Podcast. Today, we're glad to welcome Dr. Lal, who's APD and the director of the spine program at UT Galveston. Dr. Lal, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Vignesh. So before we started, you and I were talking about that not only is UT Galveston one of the oldest programs in Texas, but it's also undergone some rapid expansion in the last few years. Can you talk about what changes have been made to the faculty and to the chair position and how this impacts resident training? 
Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. So um, it's very true what you said that it's the oldest medical school in Texas. And so there's a lot of history, um, both in general for the medical school, but especially for the neurosurgery program. It's a very storied and um, historical program. Um, but I think what's more exciting for our um, current medical students and, and junior residents is um, the recent growth of the program and the trajectory for the future. Um, so we recently hired a new chairman who is actually the um, inaugural chairman of the Department of Neurosurgery. We used to be a division. Um, his name is Dr. Peter Can, and he's a, a lead, uh, you know, world expert in uh, endovascular, cerebrovascular, as well as some open vascular um, and since he's come on, that, that's really spurred a lot of really exciting change in our department. We've hired several junior faculty um, of a variety of different subspecialties. Uh, we recently just started um, a, a recent graduate from uh, Baylor who's going to be focusing on epilepsy and functional. Um, and we have two hires already slated to start next summer. Uh, one is going to be a tumor surgeon who's completing a, a complex uh, tumor mapping fellowship in France. And the other is going to be a MIS and lateral spine uh, fo focus surgeon uh, who's completing his fellowship at Swedish. So it's been really exciting to have a lot of new blood in the department um, and a lot of growth. Uh, with, um, with the new hires, it's also come increased volume. Um, our total department operative volume has um, essentially doubled in the last four years, which is pretty remarkable trajectory for growth. And that continues um, to look like it's going to progress in that direction going forward. So we're really excited about that. So not only have you guys added a lot more faculty, but you guys have several resident rotations at multiple different hospitals, some of which will provide a really unique operative experience for residents. Can you talk to us about that? Yeah, so we have kind of three primary sites that the residents uh, spend time at um, in two locations. So the first location is um, the main UTMB hospital down in Galveston. Um, and that's what I would consider a really standard academic hospital. Uh, it's a level one trauma. It's a tertiary care referral center. That's where you see the majority of our um, high acuity complex cases, uh, a lot of inpatient consults. Um, you get a lot of trauma, um, not too much, but enough that you become very confident with it going out into practice. Um, after that, um, our next site is um, in an area called Clear Lake that's halfway between Galveston and Houston. Um, this is more of a kind of upscale, um, you know, higher socioeconomic status area. So that's where a lot of our um, elective spine practices and our um, uh, elective vascular and endovascular practice particularly as well. Um, that's more of a privademics type model. So the residents still do come up here. Um, and participate, but it's a little bit more of a privademics feel, which is really great for our residents to see and experience. Um, and then the third site is um, attached to the hospital in Galveston. We have um, what we call the uh, TDC or Texas Department of Corrections Hospital. Um, and that's a hospital for the prison population of Texas. Um, UTMB is the sole provider of care for the um, many thousands of, um, of prisoners in Texas. Um, and we have a resident run and staffed clinic uh, where the residents see patients from the TDC. Um, this can be anything ranging from you know, spine problems, neck pain, back pain to um, tumors, AVMs, uh, complex tumors, you name it. Um, the residents see um, those patients in the clinic. They um, then, you know, at the end of the clinic, staff that with um, the faculty who's supervising it that day and um, come up with a plan for what kind of surgeries they want to recommend. And those surgeries are 
very strongly resident led, a uh, high degree of autonomy. Um, I think everything we do at our, at our hospital, we really focus on resident education autonomy, but especially those TDC cases, those are really going to be resident led. Um, and that's a really exciting opportunity. Um, you know, I actually did my residency here and I stayed on a staff afterwards. Um, and um, the experiences I got in starting in the TDC and then later in all of our cases um, really made me feel so confident my first couple of years out in practice. I had taken on all these complex cases, you know, with a very high degree of independence and autonomy. Um, and that gives you the confidence to succeed and thrive um, when you when you finish residency and go into practice. No, that's really great. So what is the structure of your program like? Specifically, how many residents do you guys take a year? And are there any elective years? And what can you do during those elective years, whether it's unfolded fellowships or research? Yeah, that's a great question. So right now we are one resident a year, but we are strongly pushing to go one to one and hopefully to two a year um, over the course of the next few years, especially with us expanding to multiple campuses. Um, I think that's going to be really critical. Um, Right now, our PGY four years considered our elective year. So I think our intern and PGY two year are fairly traditional. Um, the intern is usually carrying the pager and taking care of the floor and a lot of the ICU. The PGY two is really kind of supervising the intern in charge of the service and also starting to get into the OR more. Our PGY three year is um, half as a kind of mid-level resident at um, the main hospital down in Galveston. Um, and then also half the year at Texas Children's Hospital doing pediatrics. Um, and then our fourth year is where I'd say we start to have that elective experience. Um, some people want to be more clinically focused and they either do some kind of infolded clinical type rotation or they um, uh, have the possibility to get into the lab um, if so desired. Uh, and then our fifth year, sixth year, and seventh year are where you start to take on really that senior lead resident role. In those years, you're going to be pretty much expected to lead the vast majority of cases um, and um, really operate with a pretty high degree of autonomy. Um, we usually have um, right now, the way things are, the PGY-7 is the chief in Galveston. Um, the plan is for the PGY-6 to be the chief at the Clear Lake campus, which is a home call setup. Um, and then the PGY-5 um, alternates between the two campuses wherever there's kind of more cases on any given day. Um, and, you know, as we go to one, two, one, two, there'll be even more flexibility been built in there. Um, and then in the past, when we've had residents who want to do um, an, an infolded fellowship in their sixth or seventh year, we've done our best to accommodate that. So our current PGY6 resident is actually doing a complex spine fellowship um, in Boston. Um, and we try to make that possible whenever we can. Obviously, um, you know, the first priority comes to um, helping out the team down here. But whenever possible, we want to get people um, the experience that they need. Now, I'm not sure how many people have actually been to Galveston, and I know with the interview set up this year, with it being virtual, not many people may have a chance to visit. But, you know, of course, Galveston is right on the water in southeastern Texas. Can you talk to us about uh, what there is to do for fun in Galveston and what the residents kind of do in their free time? Yeah, Galveston is a great place. So I had the very same question before I moved here that I had lived in um, the Midwest most of my life and then um, some in Chicago. I had visited Texas once or twice, but I really didn't know much about it. Um, and moving to a, a small coastal town in Texas was a pretty um, large departure from, um, you know, growing up in Wisconsin where I did. And um, I was really uh, blown away and pleasantly surprised with what a, what a nice place it is to live, both Houston and Galveston. Um, they're, they're, it's terrific to be 
um, in a small town, a coastal town. Um, it's very laid back. Um, there's great restaurants. There's a lot of beachfront activities um, right, at, right in Galveston. There's a beautiful path uh, right on the sea, uh, on, the, on the beach. We call it the seawall path. Um, and uh, every day you see people out there hiking and biking and jogging, taking their dogs out, their family out, their kids out. Um, it's, Galveston is one of the only places where you can walk five minutes from the hospital and be right on the beach. Uh, my apartment used to be uh, looking right out over the ocean, had a direct ocean view. Um, and I lived, uh, I've walked to the hospitals, a four or five minute walk to the hospital. So that was pretty hard to beat. <laughs> That's pretty incredible. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so, you know, do the residents, you know, what's the uh, sort of collegiality like amongst the residents and, you know, what do they, you know, what do they do for fun? Are they over at each other's houses and, you know, and what's their relationship with the faculty like? Yeah, I think the resident culture is very strong and the resident to faculty culture is also really strong. Um, a little bit before I actually dive into that, I did want to elaborate a little bit on, um, you know, the life at UTMB that, um, a certain, you know, the majority of our residents, I think, start their residency living in Galveston, but quite a few end up living in Clear Lake, um, especially starting their mid-residency years when they're doing more of their rotations up there. Um, and that gives you direct access to Houston, which is, you know, the fourth biggest city in America, um, has professional sports, incredible restaurants, every kind of, um, you know, concert and music and uh, any kind of venue that you want. Um, so it's, again, a huge asset to the program that you can live in a, a more quiet area and have less of a commute and easy access to work. But then you also have really close proximity to a major, um, major metro. Um, so that's a, a big asset of our program. Um, as to the other question about resident collegiality and, you know, resident and faculty culture, um, our, our residents, uh, you know, I was a resident here again, and I view everybody who I worked with. Um, as not just a coworker, but as a friend. Um, and I think our current residents feel the same way. Um, we often try to get together after work. Um, I'm still very close with most of the residents because I only graduated, you know, three and a half, four years ago. Um, so we, we try to meet up for dinner. We go out for um, happy hour. Um, down in Galveston, there's a, a really fun bar that's not too far from the hospital that does... Um, uh, happy hour and trivia night. So I know we used to go do that a lot. And I think some of the, some of the residents who worked on, on the island still do that a lot. Um, I, th I think that's really critical because you go through seven years and um, somebody once said it to me, but during those seven years, you may spend more time with your coworkers than with your, with your own family. Um, and I think, you know, we're pretty good about trying to protect family life and um, making sure everybody has enough time away from the hospital as well here. But nonetheless, it's critical that you get along with the people that you work with. And I think we do a good job of that. That's definitely well said. Dr. Lal, thanks for coming on the podcast. We appreciate you sharing more about UT Galveston with uh, all the applicants this year. Thanks again. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Um, best of luck to all the applicants. And, um, you know, if you have any interest in our program, feel free to reach out um, and contact myself or Dr. Kan, our chairman. Um, we'd love to get you down for a visit. Um, but uh, thanks again, Vignesh. It was great talking to you. Welcome back to the Neurosurgery Podcast. Today, we are delighted, as we always are, when we have a return guest. We have with us Dr. Lola Chambliss, the program director at Vanderbilt University, who uh, we all know was with us previously last year and recently again re-aired discussing uh, the very subject of so much buzz and discussion, virtual interviews. Today, Dr. Chambliss is with us specifically to give us an inside scoop on neurosurgery at Vanderbilt University. Dr. Chambliss, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for having me back. 
So, you know, as alluded, we had you on before to talk about kind of the field as a whole. And in so doing, last year you did talk about what the practices were at Vanderbilt, how you were handling the virtual interviews. But maybe for our listeners, you can give us an inside look and kind of an overview of the program itself, not just the interview process, but what's life like, what's the culture like at Vanderbilt Neurosurgery? Yeah, I'm delighted to have the chance to share that with your listeners. Um, You know, I think I'll I'll open with saying what I typically say to the applicants on the day of their interview, um, which is that we really, they're going to learn about three themes when they visit us um, that are kind of the values of our program. And those are the idea of being innovative, responsive, and personalized. Uh, So what I mean by that is, you know, we really believe in being leaders in the way, in, in learning how to do neurosurgery better and how to train neurosurgeons better. And so we try to innovate in terms of our educational programs and training processes. And we do that in a way where we really try to study it empirically and look at our results and publish our results. Um, And I think that that's still relatively rare within the field of neurosurgery. There's certainly a lot of other fields of medicine that have done a better job of really studying with some scientific rigor uh, the way that they teach and train. And so that's something that we get excited about uh, in terms of how we kind of run the scientific process of our education program. And then I mentioned the idea that we're both responsive and personalized. And by responsive, what I mean is that we really try to adapt quickly to changes in the overall neurosurgical landscape. And that that dovetails with this concept of personalization. So for example, uh, historically in years past, our program had had our elective years in years four and five. And with the changes to the CAS accreditation system, ultimately that meant that residents who were going to try to get, um, try to do endovascular during those years and come out fully trained uh, wouldn't be able to be grandfathered into the CAS system anymore. And, And that is probably going to become increasingly important to hospital credentialing programs. And so we mixed things up um, and we responded to changes like that by changing the way that we structure the residency for those residents interested in that particular path, allowing them to do a post-chief PGY-7 enfolded endovascular fellowship. So that's just an example of what we try to do, but we really try to um, come up with a way of training residents in general neurosurgery in five years and then in the subspecialty and academic areas of their choice in two, which can be done in a flexible way throughout the curriculum. Well, Dr. Chambliss, you know, I'm a big fan of yours and I've known Reed Thompson uh, since I was a medical student when he was doing his fellowship at Stanford. So I'm a big fan of Vanderbilt. You guys are like the Ivy League of the South and uh, Nashville is a wonderful city to live in. So I just wanna shift gears a little bit and ask you, and I know that in your role in the senior society with uh, neurosurgery programs, you have to be balanced in your talking about it. But how, what impresses you about students when they come to Vanderbilt? So it's a weird time. You know, people can't all do sub-I's where they want. When you look at these applicants, what are the sort of ideal features? Like, wow, that's someone who'd be a great match here in Nashville. One of the things that we really try to figure out is coachability. You know, I don't expect anybody to enter our program with much knowledge about neurosurgery. Uh, I don't expect them to come to us having studied for the three months after graduation so that, you know, they know every every last bit about whatever they're going to be asked to do on their day one of their intern year. 
um, we're really okay with people coming to us as a blank slate. But what we want are people who are coachable or trainable, which means that you give them some feedback and they hear it, they listen to it, they find a way to integrate it into their day, and then they come back around to you and say, okay, how's that working now? Um, you know, because if you have somebody who is difficult to teach, train, or coach, that is a much more difficult resident to, um, to help than somebody who just comes to you with that, that spirit. So I'd say that's the first thing that we're looking for when we look through candidates. We're trying to look at what, how things that they've done at other points in their lives that demonstrate that they have that ability to seek feedback and respond to feedback. Well, Dr. Chambliss, you know, you, you made such a point about the dedication to the analysis of neurosurgery as you're practicing neurosurgery, and that puts me in the mind of research in general, academics, and of course, you talked about that flexibility with elective time. I wonder if you could speak a bit about what the relationship is like between the department and the medical center at large and the university generally there at Vanderbilt. Um, if I'm correct, the hospital is adjacent to the, the main campus, correct? And so I, I wonder what kind of relationships are there for any students or uh, residents who may have leanings towards the more basic sciences or engineering with the uh, university faculty and facilities at large? Yeah, that is really one of our greatest strengths. So we have three training sites, three different hospitals, but they're all on a single medical center campus. So the Vanderbilt University Medical Center is large, but then the Children's Hospital is freestanding but adjacent, and the Nashville VA is also freestanding and adjacent. And so it's a really small footprint that covers three very different training environments. And in addition to that, we're embedded within the broader university campus. So from my office window, I look out and I look at the School of Engineering, and I'm a two-minute walk from my collaborators in um, in mechanical engineering, which is just spectacular. So we have a number of collaborative processes that go back and forth between the university and the medical center, and, and particularly in our department. And um, you mentioned engineering in particular. Vanderbilt has an institute called the um, Vanderbilt Institute for Surgical Engineering, or VICE, which is co-located in the Department of Engineering and the main operating room. And there are engineers that hang out there at lunchtime every day uh, and surgeons can literally drop in and say, you know, here, here's something that, you know, we don't have in the OR. Here's a device that doesn't work well for us. Is this the type of thing that we could re-engineer? Could we start a project looking at this? Um, so it's an incredibly vibrant collaboration that just wouldn't, wouldn't take place without being in such great physical proximity to each other. Uh, and so... You know, it, I also think it really helps to build the, the residency community in that the while the residents do rotate through a variety of different practice locations, they're always close to each other. And so they can always find a friend to go grab lunch with. You know, um, they, don't, they don't feel like they're separated from the rest of the group when they're on those more far flown rotations because they're still stones throw away. Great. And as we wrap up here, maybe just for completeness, uh, can you go over what the program looks like structurally, how many people you take, whether there are plans for expansion, uh, what the relationship is like with the residents and fellows, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah. So we are three a year. Um, year one, uh, the intern year involves a four-month rotation with us. It's kind of the gauntlet where you carry the, day pa the, the pager every day, um, six days a week or five days a week and a half. 
PGY2 year is at the adult hospital, um, so junior resident, very operative heavy because uh, you're not carrying that day call pager, which is nice. <laughs> um, PGY3, you spend four months um, as sort of a mid-level resident at the main hospital, four months at Children's, four months at the VA. And then the senior clinical year can be done either as a five or a six, and that is at the main hospital, as is the chief year. And that set, there's two elective years. One is done as a PGY4, and one can be done anywhere in the rest of that, um, that three-year block. So you can do that as a post-chief, or you can do those two years concurrently as a four and a five. Well, Dr. Chambliss, uh, like I said, we're always so happy to have guests back on the show, and particularly uh, you know, a, a perfect choice in you who was with us last year to discuss the virtual interview season, now with a chance to give the applicants a specifically inside look at Vanderbilt University. As Dr. Wang alluded, you know, Nashville is just one of the best cities in the country, hands down. I am biased and I will confess it. I love Nashville. I always love visiting. So we could talk for hours and hours about life in Nashville itself, but I think most of the applicants know what the city has to offer and the, the life there, the music scene, and the food scene. So with that, we really appreciate your time coming on the show to give the applicants a look at Vanderbilt Neurosurgery. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you guys so much. Disclaimer time. The opinions and ideas expressed in this show are solely those of myself, Dr. Wang, and our guests. They do not represent the opinions of any professional institution or organization. This show is for entertainment purposes only and does not constitute the giving of medical or legal advice. Listening to or participating in this show does not constitute continuing medical education or any other professional certification. It's just a show, everybody.